The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Welcome to Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of Reconstructionist Radio. My name is Jason Garwood. I'm the teaching pastor of Cross and Crown Church in Northern Virginia, and I want to thank you for joining me on this episode. I want to uh, share with you a message that I preached at the University of Zambia in Lusaka, the capital city. This was a message called How to Develop the Biblical Worldview, and it was given to I don't know, maybe two, three hundred college students there, and uh, I believe it was well received, and I wanted to share that with you. So, thanks again for listening, and uh, without further ado, we'll get right into it. Well, I've been to Zambia now for ten days, and it's been a beautiful time, a beautiful trip. We put on a school of ministry with Bishop Tanda Malenga, and uh, we've had. I think about 100 graduates in our program, so young people and even some um, pastors and bishops and, and what have you, and so that was a treasure. It was a joy for me to be able to be a part of that and, and teach during this school, and so um, in light of that, it is an honor to be here, um, but I don't, want to, um, I don't want to miss an opportunity. If you would like to know more about my ministry in America and how I can encourage you and stay in touch with you, I'd love for you to find me on Facebook, and you can friend me there, and I would love to get your email. I could send you resources and encourage you in that manner. So if you are interested, you can, you can find me, um, Jason Garwood, G- J-A-S-O-N, that's my first name, G-A-R-W-O-O-D, and... Um, I would love to be able to get your email address and stay connected with you. I hope to return next July, so if the Lord opens that door, I'll be uh, happy to be here. All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Please turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament. We're going to look at verses 18 to 25, going to focus in more toward the end of that section, but I want you to see the context before we get into our teaching, and then I will pray and we will get right to work. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18. These are the words of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we honor you on this Sabbath day. We rest in your Son, Jesus, who has restored us to our calling to subdue the earth. And I pray that you would open our minds and our ears and our hearts so that we can hear and understand your word. We also ask that we would seek to do your word, lest we become hypocrites. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, as I said, it's an honor, an absolute honor to be with you all this morning. We enjoyed our time last week, and uh, I bring you warm greetings from the state of Virginia, uh, just near Washington, D.C., where my family and I live. I'm a pastor at Cross and Crown Church. We planted a new church there, and our goal is to cause a bunch of problems and stir things up for the gospel of the kingdom of God. So that's what we do. So I appreciate your hospitality, so I praise God for that. I want to talk this morning about developing a biblical worldview. That's my title, developing the biblical worldview. What is the biblical worldview? How should you develop it? And what should you do about it? And so I'm going to try to do this all in about 45 minutes Western time, not Zambia time. Sound good? Amen? Now, this teaching is incredibly important, so I really want you to listen very, very, very carefully. Um, If you have questions afterwards, please do find me, um, and I'd love to talk with you, no doubt. So here is Romans chapter 1. In this portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, he draws a line in the sand. And what you must know about this passage is that it is a passage that lays the foundation for everything. It lays the foundation for everything. Now, all of you are called to this task that you see on the screen here, developing the biblical worldview. Notice I did not say developing a biblical worldview, meaning that maybe there's multiple options. No, there is one biblical worldview, the biblical one worldview. Now, interestingly enough, Someone, uh, someone gave me this little brochure here last week, and so I, I took it back to where we were staying, and I was studying it and learning more about UCC and what you, what you all are doing here, and I stumbled upon the section right in the middle where it had the objectives listed, and there was one that stood out to me, all right? One of the objectives I thought was quite intriguing. It says, to make Christianity a living reality in the intellectual life of the university. I love that. I love that. Now, let me tell you why I love this. Because Christianity is a worldview. It's a worldview. The only true worldview. It's the only true worldview that makes sense of everything that you see in the world. Now listen carefully. Regarding your objective here, You cannot do any amount of intellectual life on this campus apart from Christianity. You can't do it. You cannot do any amount of intellectual life apart from Christianity. You hear me? You can't do it. Now, people try, don't they? 
People absolutely try. People try desperately to figure out the meaning and purpose of life. Why do we exist? They try to understand things like science and medicine and geography and politics and so on. That's what a university does, right? Now, we try to figure out how the world works. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to understand how the universe itself works. But I'm here to tell you that we cannot do any of those things apart from the gospel of the kingdom of God. You cannot do it. Have you ever considered what the Apostle Paul says here in our passage before us? I'm just going to list a few things. You can follow along. I'm not going to read all the text again. But notice verse 18 first. He says that everyone knows God. Verses 18 and 19. Everyone knows God, he says. It's plain. You see, the problem on this campus and the problem on every single American campus, and I go to them often, I go to the big campuses, I stand out in the middle to speak out for my pre-born neighbor who's being aborted, and I preach the gospel in the middle, and I get called all sorts of things. But the problem is not that people don't know God. That's not the problem. The problem is they don't worship God. That's Romans 1. If an atheist or somebody walks up to you and says, I don't believe in God, you know what you should say? I don't believe in you. (laughs) I don't believe you. Because the Bible says you know God. And then they say, well, why should I believe the Bible? And then I say, well, how do you know anything apart from God? Do you see it here in verses 18 and 19? That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So in the previous verse, their problem is not knowledge of God. It's not like they're lacking knowledge of God. They live in God's world. It's pretty stinking obvious. The problem is that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now that word suppress is this idea of holding something down, like holding a beach ball underwater. It just wants to keep popping up, doesn't it? But you're trying to hold it down. You're trying to suppress it. It's, it's too powerful for you to sit there and suppress it for all of eternity. You can't do it. So eventually it's going to pop up. And this is the way unbelievers treat God. They suppress, they hold down, they prevent, they restrain, and they try to squash the truth about God. So their problem is not that they don't know that God exists. Their problem is they know God exists, and they are content with being his enemies. That's the problem. Second, look at verse 20. He says that all of God's attributes have been understood, and and, and the people who reject God, who suppress the truth about God, they are anapologetos. They are without excuse. They are without excuse. They have no defense. They have, you've heard the word apologetics, right? This is anapologetus. Without. They lack the defense. They don't have a defense. In the courtroom of God, there is no possible case that they could use to defend themselves. They can't do it. Third thing, look at verse 21. <clears throat> Even though they knew God, they had this revelation about God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. 
They chose not to worship him with the glory that only belongs to him, but instead they went on their own way, and the Bible says their hearts were darkened. Fourth, verse 22, they professed to be wise. They professed to be wise. They claimed to have all the wisdom of the world. They studied at the university. They are the next generation of brilliant leaders who are going to lead in the medical industry, the education industry, the politics. They are, they have, they are wise, but guess what? Because they rejected the word of God, they became what? Fools. They are fools. Tell that to somebody and see if they uh, give you a warm greeting. <laughs> Do it. And let me know how it goes. In the Bible, a fool is a moral indictment. It's not just a frivolous name calling. It's a moral indictment. You are a fool. Not you. <laughs> Maybe you. I don't know. I, don't I haven't met everyone here. Now, the question is, how did this come about? Look at verse 23, fifth. Verse 23 says that they exchanged or they substituted the glory of God and they turned their worship towards man and animals. Because of this, remember this is five, God gave them over to their lusts. Verse 24. They wanted to sin. And in God's wrath, his holy, righteous Wrath towards sin, what did he do? He gave them over to their own way. So their hearts were already impure, but God let them recklessly go further into it, to go headlong into sin, into darkness. Dr. Cornelius Van Til once said, it's disintegration into the void. It's this downward spiral into darkness and sin. You know people like that. Their hearts were already impure, but God allowed them to go their own way. And what is the absolute foundation of this worldview? Verse 25 says it all. You should have this verse memorized. Know this. They exchanged. They traded. They substituted the truth about God for, in the Greek language, it's the lie. They exchanged the truth of God the absolute, rock-hard, solid truth of God. It's objective, it's sovereign, it's transcendent. They took that and they traded it for the lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, I want to help you understand more of this. So you're still tracking with me, right? Everyone who walks on this planet we call Earth has a worldview. Everyone, everyone has a worldview. I'm going to give you my definition of a worldview so you know what I mean when I say that so we can work through this together. Here is my definition, and you can write it down if you like. I'll repeat it a couple of times. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths through which we fit everything we believe. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths. It's what we assume, right? It's presupposed. We are assuming it before we do anything. Presupposed truths through which we fit everything we believe. 
Everything we believe is fit into this category. And by which we interpret and discern the world and everything in the world. I'll say it one more time. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths through which we fit everything we believe and by which we interpret and discern the world and everything in the world. These are the truths we assume when we start to do life. We assume things. We presuppose them. And all the things that we believe are filtered through them. That's a worldview. Now, in a general manner of speaking, only the Christian worldview, listen carefully, only the Christian worldview gives you logical, rational, and consistent definitions for everything you see in the world. Only the Christian worldview gives you logical and rational and consistent definitions for everything you see in the world. All other rival worldviews that stem from the cults or false religions like Islam or Buddhism or even atheism or agnosticism, you, all, you name all the isms you want. All other worldviews are ultimately incoherent and inconsistent incoherent and inconsistent. The God of Islam is not personable. The triune God of the Holy Scriptures is personable. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So it's incoherent. It's inconsistent. Now, if you want consistency in your life, and I think you do, if you want to have the intellectual life of this university serve the purposes of the kingdom of God, which I think you do, then you must hold to the scriptures and you must hold fast to Christ. The holy scriptures should be your supremacy, your everything. You have to. You have to hold fast to the scriptures. The Bible is the Word of God. It is, it is true. It is inspired, 2 Timothy 3.16, right? It's God-breathed. It is, it is without error. And you must hold to its authority. It speaks to everything in the world. So, so when you go about your studies and, and you go to your classrooms to learn about this, that, and the other, and all these things, what you must not do is leave your Bible behind. You must not leave the authority of the Holy Scriptures at home while you go about your studies. So please understand this. Only Christianity can be consistent. If we do not start with the Creator God as is revealed in His fully and finally authoritative self-revelation, what we call the Bible, then we have no justifiable reason to believe anything. So we have to start with God. We must start with God. Otherwise, otherwise, here's what we are. This is what the universities in, in America, most of them, 95% of them are teaching that all, of, all we are are bags of meat and stardust. Walking and talking. Our descendants were apes. And these people have a lot of letters behind their name. They think they claim to be wise, but they're fools. 
So only the Christian worldview can be consistent because only the Christian worldview aligns with things as they are, reality. So everyone has a worldview. It's impossible for someone to not have a worldview. A worldview is like a pair of glasses, right? Everyone has this pair of glasses. It's what we assume when we look at nature and knowledge, all of these things, ethics and truth, things like laws of logic, things like like the, the rules for rational discussion, See, in my country, everybody's gone crazy. We've lost it. You go to, I go onto a university campus, George Mason University in Fairfax. It's about a half hour from D.C. And I go there, and I talk to people just like you. They're fools. You don't strike me like that, praise God. But I get yelled at, spit at. They won't, they won't even have a rational discussion with me. I say the word Jesus, and they just yell. Like a toddler in a store who wants a particular brand of cereal because it has a toy in it. They just sit there on the floor, wah, wah, wah. You fool, get up. Let's talk. So everyone has these, these things. How do we know things to be true? All of this comes into play from the Holy Scriptures. So if you don't have the Christian glasses on, you can't see everything the way God intends. You can't see clearly. And that's why they're throwing the temper tantrum on the university. They can't see. They're they're unregenerate. They're under the wrath of God. God has given them over to their lusts. They can't see. It's dark. You walk into things when it's dark. You stub your toe on the table. You run into the wall, smash your face. You're a fool. Hence the reason why there is mass confusion, especially in America, mass confusion in the public square regarding sexual ethics and so on. It's a war of ideas, and it's a war of definitions. In America... We have people on, in the top part, parts of our government, in the public schools, and even people in our churches who are trying to change the definition of what it means to be a man and a woman, what it means to be married, and what it means to be a human being in the image of God in the womb. So what do we get when we reject the Word of God? What do we get? Well, a man can... Be like a woman because he feels like it. So he can dress like them. Well, marriage can be to whomever you like because it's all about love. I make them mad on the campus because I say, well, Romans 13 says love is the fulfillment of the law. So love is not your emotional, ushy-gushy, foolish feelings. So that's what you get when you reject the word of God. You get confusion on gender, confusion on marriage. Two years ago, I had to preach the Sunday after the Supreme Court decided that men can marry men. America is in a mess. (laughs) There are fools all over the place. (laughs) And I feel like I'm the only one who's got at least some semblance of (laughs) it. Now, I know I'm not the only one, but some days it feels like it. 
Now, at the foundational level, there are only two worldviews. You're going to want to write this down, and I'm going to need your help in a second. There are only two worldviews. There is the Christian worldview, and then there is the non-Christian worldview. That's it. And only one of those is ultimately true. So worldview tells you about the nature of man, man's responsibilities towards God, the nature of what is good and what is evil, things like law and justice and jurisprudence. We must see everything in God's world through what I call, I'm going to use a big word, I'll define it, theoepistemology. Epistemology is simply the study of how we know things. Theo is simply reference to God. We have to know things through God's self-revelation. So God has ultimate, infinite knowledge, and we know things because he's given it to us. Now, at this point, we're going to do some basic mathematics, okay? Anybody in here studying math? Okay, good. I'm glad it's you and not me. I was all right at math. I just didn't love it. Okay, so I need you all to repeat after me. Are you ready? One, two. That's it. Thanks for helping. Your job is done. One, two. Remember, I told you there are only two worldviews. And this is straight from Romans 1. I'm going to show you why, where I get this in the Bible. There are two worldviews. So if you're taking notes, you're going to write this down. Oneism. Oneism. O-N-E-I-S-M. Oneism. And twoism. Oneism and twoism. I'll explain that. You want the meat of the word, right? Here it comes. This is a this is a steak. Nice big T-bone. <laughs> Give us our daily bread and our T-bone steak. <laughs> Oneism. Oneism believes that all there is to the natural world is the natural world. Materialism, we call it. All there is in the world is just what's in the world. That's it. So we have dirt, and we have earth, and we have stuff. And we have ideas, but who cares? They're just ideas. You can't go to the pick and pay and and pick up a liter of um, logic. Because it's just out there. It's in our brains. We think these things. It's not tangible. You can't touch it. That's oneism. So there's nothing spiritual about it. Nothing transcends creation in this worldview. There is, there is one, one circle, and as Hinduism teaches, and other religions, and the Eastern religions teach, all is one. You've heard that phrase? All is one. Now, in philosophy, any philosophy majors? In philosophy, we call this the problem of the one and the many. Only Christianity resolves this because God is both one and many. You understand? The Trinity. God is one. He is many. He is both. So in the oneest worldview, all you have, there's no distinction or variation. Everything is one. This is a pagan worldview. Everything is just one. There's no distinction. Twoism. Twoism holds a distinction between the creator God and the creation. Okay, if you're writing down, I want you to draw 
a, a big circle. I mean, it doesn't have to be huge, but draw a circle on your paper. And then below it, I want you to draw a smaller circle. Okay, just like that. Yep, a bigger circle up here, a smaller circle under here. The big circle, you can write creator. The small circle, you can write creation. And now you have the two circles here, right? Here's the big one, here's the little one. I want you to draw a line that brings them together on each side. Just like that. That line is what we call the covenant. The covenant. The covenant is the connection between the creator God and the creation. That's twoism. You, you see, there's not just one circle. There's two distinct creation. They worshiped God. They worshiped. Um, they exchanged the truth about God and worshiped the creation instead of the Creator. See, this is what Romans one is all about. The unregenerate. They exchange the truth. They worship the creation. They focus on the creation. What we can see. So if you are a Christian and you have confessed Jesus as your Lord, you are a twoist. You had no idea today, did you? you? You didn't wake up and think, I'm so happy to be a twoist. This is glorious. I love it. I think I'm going to go tell others about my twoist ideology. Twoist. And listen, everything that is not biblical Christianity is oneism. Everything that is not biblical Christianity is oneism. So when you reject the triune God of the Bible, you are a oneist. Paganism, Islam, Buddhism, um, socialism, communism, Marxism, Hinduism, Mormonism, any, any false gospel, any religion, and any humanist philosophy, all of it, it cannot account for what the Apostle Paul teaches us here in verse 25 of chapter 1. They can't do it. Mysticism, ancestral worship, animism, all of these, all of it is a oneist religion. It conflates the two circles. It brings them together, thus eliminating the creature and the creator distinction. That's the worldview. And listen, when, when men and women try to dethrone the king of kings, you know what happens? They are very quick to submit their resume for the job. They want that job. They want all authority in heaven and earth. They want the power. All false religions, they conflate the circle. And when you conflate the circle, guess what? You deify yourself. You see yourself as God. The moment any person or institution tries to hold ultimate authority over a free man or a free woman, anyone who's doing that is giving you a bait-and-switch tactic meant to dethrone God and install yourself as the sovereign. So whether it's communism or Marxism, all of it's a claim to deity. It's a claim to have sovereign authority. Now, the twoist, the twoist ideology and theology believes that God is holy, 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 that he is other, that he is distinct from creation. Twoists don't believe themselves to be God because they're too busy worshiping the true God. They're not worshiping themselves or their system. He's the creator. We are the creation. And if you confuse that, you have a problem. Let's say it. You are a 
fool. This is so important. Remember the lines I asked you to draw that connect the two circles. It's a covenant. A covenant is this binding agreement between two or more parties. It's a binding agreement between two or more parties. And accompanying this agreement are ethical things, ethical considerations about what is good. Uh, Psalm 89, 14, what, what is the foundation of God's throne? Righteousness and justice. Ethics and justice. So the covenant has these ethical considerations. It also has a future-oriented sanction that's attached to it. And sanctions, uh, they're either positive or negative, depending on if you're obedient to God and his word. You can look this up later. Go to Deuteronomy 28 and 29, and you can read what the blessings are to the covenant and what the cursings are to the covenant. Now, I want you to repeat after me so you get this. Everything is covenantal. Nothing is neutral. Okay, write that down. You need to know this. Everything is covenantal. Nothing is neutral. Everything goes back to God's covenant. Everything is tied to this twoist worldview. So nothing is, is neutral because of it. Everything in the world is covenantal. Nothing is neutral. Everything is tied to the creator-creation distinction. Everything is covenantal. Nothing is neutral. So nothing in this world can say that it is outside of God's sovereign jurisdiction. Nothing can say that. Nothing can say that God's covenants are irrelevant. So no philosophy... No, no religion, no civil government, nothing escapes the sanctions of God. Amen. When Jesus said he had all authority, he didn't mean he only had some. He had all authority in heaven and on earth. So, that, so when I say everything is covenantal, nothing is neutral, what I'm saying is there is no ethical issue that is ultimately a gray area. There's no ethical issue that, ah, oh, we're not sure. Maybe it's outside the bounds of God's judgment. Maybe, maybe God doesn't think too much about this or that. Nothing is neutral. Jesus said, you were either with me or what? Against me. So there is no fence sitting in the kingdom of God. There's no fence sitting. You can't sit there and wait. You're either on the side of the kingdom or you're outside the kingdom but nothing is neutral. Everything is covenantal. Everything is tied to this understanding of the creator and the creation. Now, Jesus didn't save you so that you could just sing to him. As much as I enjoyed the wonderful singing. It was very beautiful. I took some video so I could take it back and show my family. Jesus didn't save you so you could just sing. sing. He saved you so that you would live for him. Amen. That you would live for him and not just live for him. I'll tell you what we say at my church. We say that your job is to press the crown rights of King Jesus into every area of life. Amen. So if you're studying psychology, well, first, we need to talk afterwards. But if you're studying psychology, you're supposed to take the crown rights of King Jesus into that field of study and make sure that every thought is taken captive in obedience to Christ. Amen. Not just your thoughts, 
I don't know if that's the case here in Zambia, but in America, people quote that, and they, they say things like, I got to take my thoughts captive. Well, you need to take every thought captive. So if you're studying medicine or science or history, I'm telling you right now, your job, your job in that field of study is to press the crown rights of King Jesus into it. Don't leave your Bible at home. Don't leave your worldview at home. Don't set down the worldview glasses and say, okay, I'm going to go see clearly now. You can't see clearly. If it's the intellectual life of this university that you are after, if that's what you want, praise God. But don't check your brain at the door. And don't check your Lord at the door either. If you want to achieve this objective at this university, listen, you are going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, you better know this. You better know that you are going to have to fight. You're going to have to contend for the faith that's once for, delivered for all the saints, right? You're going to have to contend for this faith. You're going to have to, to put your fists together, and you're going to have to start dominating these oneist worldviews because they are everywhere. It is engulfing my nation. We are a pagan nation. We are not a Christian nation, not in America. We have a ton of Christians who name the name of Christ. Their life looks nothing like him. And listen, I, I do hear this all the time in America, whether we're preaching on college campuses or, or we're at an abortion clinic trying to prevent mothers from going in and, 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 and murdering their child, whatever the case may be, I will inevitably hear this from, from Christians that, that I ought to just be quiet, that I should just preach the gospel. Don't get involved in political issues. Don't think that the gospel has anything to do with medicine and taxation and economics and land rights and so on, private property. That's what I'm told. What are you doing talking about those issues? Well, let me tell you something. You ready? We say Jesus is Lord. Amen? And I say it doesn't get any more political than that. All the time we hear this. Turn quickly to the book of 1 Corinthians, just one book over. I want you to look at my favorite verse, and then we'll bring it to a close. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. This is, if you ask what my favorite verse is, this is it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. You should have this circled, underlined, tattooed, I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> you should know it. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25, he says this, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Listen carefully. The testimony of Scripture is that Jesus Christ, he received the kingdom, per Daniel chapter 7, when he ascended to the throne. This was when Jesus asked the Father for the nations. That's what Psalm 2 says. That's what happened. And the New Testament repeatedly emphasizes over and over and over again that Jesus Christ is king. Listen, we are not waiting for him to return to become king. He's king already. Who's going to give him that authority? Oh, Jesus, you came back. Fantastic. Let's get that crown together and we'll make you king. No, if he comes back, you're toast. 
So we're not waiting for this. He received the kingdom because of his death and resurrection. And right now, the text says, right before your eyes, he must reign. Amen. He must reign until all of his enemies are put all of his, under his feet. Until. So Jesus is ruling now. He's putting his enemies under his feet now. And it is your job, Christian. It is your job, dear university student, to assist in the project. When you were bought by Christ's blood, when you were brought to him, you were invited into this. You were commanded into this special task. Project Save the World has now been unleashed on the world. And you were not saved so that you could keep the gospel to yourself and go about your studies acting like Jesus isn't Lord over economics. You weren't saved so that you would just keep quiet about it. You were not saved so that you could just live a comfortable, cozy life and then maybe you know, you'll go to heaven when you die. You were saved so that you would get to work for the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is true conscription into the army. You're forced in. When you, when you came to Christ, when, let me say it differently, when the Holy Spirit brought you to Christ, you were brought into the war. You were brought into the fight. You were drafted into the army of God. You are a soldier for Jesus Christ. And listen, it is your job as an ambassador of the kingdom to ensure that your little corner of this garden world is functioning in line with the kingdom of God. So if you're studying math, brother, you need to make sure that mathematics obeys Jesus. If you're in here and you're studying politics, you need to make sure politics obeys Jesus Christ. History. If you're studying history, you have to know that it is God who writes history. If you're studying if, math again, you, God invented math. It's brilliant. It's the mind of God. If you're studying medicine, you need to know the great physician. If you're studying to be a teacher, you must follow Jesus, your rabbi, and you must obey his teaching. Whatever area of life God has called you to, you must understand this Christian worldview, and you must take that Christian worldview and push it into everything. And know this, the world will not like it. They will not go quietly. They will throw a tamper, a temper tantrum, and you have to be bold enough to say, stop acting like a fool. Get up. Let's talk. You will be told to keep that religious stuff to yourself. You will be told that Jesus has nothing to say to the president of Zambia, the president of the United States of America. You will be told that Jesus is only for a certain section of your life so that you, you better not dare bring him into these other things. But I tell you here today and proclaim to you today that if you give in to these pagan worldviews, if you give in to the idea that Jesus is Lord in heaven but not on earth, you, if you give in to these oneist views... Don't be surprised when God brings his judgment against you and your family and your churches and your nation. It's happening right now in America, and I'm telling you, it can happen to you. So rise up, next generation. Amen. Will you? Yes. Will you? Yes. Take heed, brothers and sisters. The last verse of chapter 15 says this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, not sometimes abounding, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these university students. I thank you that you have called each of them to the task of the dominion mandate. I pray that you will encourage them and strengthen them and, and, and give us more warriors for the kingdom of God. Give them a courageous boldness to face the world with the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. May you teach them what they need to know about your world. And may your spirit grant them understanding. In Christ's precious name, Christ's holy name, in the name of our King and our Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.